I've interviewed both Andy and Phil, and now I've got you. And like, where do I, when do I finally get Looking Glass bingo? <laughs> it may, this isn't going to be the one. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever it is, wherever you are. I'm Austin Titchener, one third of the Reduced Shakespeare Company, and you're listening to this week's Reduced Shakespeare Company podcast, now in its 16th year, number 815, celebrating Looking Glass Alice. David Catlin is a founding ensemble member, actor, writer, director, and former artistic director of the Tony-winning Looking Glass Theater in Chicago, and his adaptations and productions, which include Moby Dick and The Little Prince, has sculpted the Looking Glass aesthetic, according to their website. I was thrilled to talk to David about Looking Glass Alice, now in its final two weeks of performances at Looking Glass's theater at the Water Tower in downtown Chicago, and I began our conversation by asking David whether it was true that Looking Glass Alice is sort of the show that started it all for Looking Glass Theater. Well, it's it's kind of true. The, the, the very first show that we did was, uh, even before we were a company, um, David Schwimmer had, we were all students at Northwestern, and, and Schwimmer had money in his bank account, $500 in his bank account from, from his bar mitzvah, and he didn't know what to do with it, and so he decided he was going to self-produce this version of Alice in Wonderland, and it wasn't, it's not the version that we're doing now, it was a version that Andre Gregory and a group called the Manhattan Project did, they they spent 18 months at the end of the 1960s just doing a deep dive on the stories and improvisations and all these Grotowski exercises. Um, uh, Andre Gregory was a, a peer and buddy of, of Grotowski, and, and so he convinced these six NYU students to um, do this kind of physical, almost acrobatic poor theater aesthetic version of the Alice stories. And, and they put it up in 1970. It was, a, it was an enormous, influential show. It, it went up in New York, and, and everybody who saw it was just kind of crazy for it. And um, fast forward to the mid-'80s, Schwimmer has um, heard about this production. In fact, he has a, coffee, a tattered coffee table book that um, was mostly photographs that Richard Avedon had taken of that production, and he was just really charmed by it. And and along with the photographs was this kind of detailing of what their elongated process was like. And so, Schwimmer, being a very persuasive, interesting person, even as a as a college kid, convinced us all to take a whole quarter off from being in shows and. Uh, a bunch of us, Andy White and Joy Gregory, Larry DeStasi, uh, we all um, we made this this play with with Schwimmer at the helm of it, and um, and then we spent another thirteen weeks the next quarter or ten weeks the next quarter um, rehearsing it and uh, staging it, and and um, we ended up it was a big hit on campus because Schwimmer's got he's actually really talented. <laughs> director as well as being a pretty funny person um and and the source material is fantastic and, and it was very physical it was unlike anything that was going on in 
on campus, or this is at Northwestern, or even kind of in the Chicago area at the time. There wasn't, there wasn't at the time that kind of physical theater happening. And uh, there was lots of great ensemble theater happening in Chicago, but not at the time that kind of physical work. So, so when we ended up taking it to the Edinburgh Fringe Festival and had this, you know, pretty awesome experience. And it made us want to start a company. And so that version of the story, that adaptation that we, we did of Andre Gregory and the Manhattan Project really um, was kind of the, the seminal start for, for Looking Glass. And then, and then once we you know, started the company, we, we decided to do our own version of it, which was we called Through the Looking Glass. And we were going to take Chicago by storm. We were going to just, you know, like we, we, we just had this brash audacity kind of ignorance about ourselves. <laughs> Uh, a self-inflated sense of like, we're going to be, it's going to be great. And we ended up not being able to find a venue that we could afford. So we did it on, on campus. We'd never quite left campus for our first show, but we did this through the looking glass and it sold out this tiny little Shanley pavilion, which is really charming, charming place. And I kind of love that that's, that that's where it started. And then flashing forward 15 years after starting the company, we're opening the water tower, um, putting a theater in there, and artistic director Laura Eason and ex uh, executive director Jackie Russell and um, our board president were like, "Let's could we do something that sort of feels like that is tied to the company and that maybe we could bring back? And so because I was in the original version of it and... I had directed a couple things and written a couple things here and there. They they kind of commissioned me to to do it, and um, and so we then we opened the theater in two thousand three and on um, actually Friday the thirteenth of June, and then uh, and and we opened the, that original Alice on Friday the thirteenth uh, back in nineteen eighty uh, in nineteen eighty seven. Um, Friday the th the 13th has been a, a kind of a lucky n number for us. So and, and then we've gotten to do it a bunch of times since then. We've probably done 14 or 15 productions of it, both at the Water Tower, but then we've gotten to take it to places like McCarter in Princeton and and the Arden in Philadelphia and Denver, the Denver Center. Um, uh, we took it down to Miami. So it's it's gotten a chance to... And part of the fun of it is that when we go places, the you know the, it's a it's a very unique stage, and it was sort of built for our black box theater, and so we have when we took the Actors Theater of Louisville, they let us put it right on their big main stage and put seating on stage, and I think we actually still hold records for for attendance there because they just they because of the nature of the show, they could put people on stage and uh, until they have another show that can put people on stage I think we'll hold on to that for a little while I guess well, and not to give too much away but the, the the audience is on either side of the mirror that Alice goes yeah. through yeah uh, which is a marvelous sort of opening gambit um 
I'm fascinated because I wrote like around the same time, sort of late 80s, I wrote an adaptation of of Alice in Wonderland and Through the Looking Glass for a child audience. And it was uh, was very fun, but it was focused on how Charles Dodgson uh, transformed his life into the Alice tales, et cetera. Um, And that's not what you, that's not what you guys are pursuing with, with the story you're pursuing a kind of theatrical storytelling that has become am i right kind of the signature looking glass work a combination of physicality and clowning and text and movement and music yeah well i i think we're often you know part of what we're drawn to and i think i think i i know you have done a bu- bunch of adaptations including a, a frankenstein right did you yeah frankenstein? so yeah. you know part of Part of what is glorious about the theater, right, is that you get a group of people in a room and we all have to willingly suspend our disbelief and and say that whatever we're holding up is what what the story needs it to be. The audience has to actively engage. And I think, you know, part of why we're drawn to um, often a- adapting literature um, is that is that literature, the writer of a of um, a book is not bound by, you know, with a with a with a period and the start of a new paragraph or sentence. They can they can fast forward a thousand years or take you to the other side of the world or to the to the moon or below the sea, and you can't. Re- that's not so easy to do in sort of normal traditional theater. The kind of theater that you make and that Looking Glass likes to make allows for that we're we we if we're doing our job the audience is is a part of it they're a collaborator in the creation of it they engage engage their imaginations they have to otherwise the story won't work and so they're an active participant in it and so for us that 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 has that permeates the work that mary zimmerman uh does the the work that heidi stillman makes that um, the work that Andy White writes—it's—it's—it is—it's um, for us part of the joy of it that we can, that the audience has to, you know, believe that this sheet of white fabric going over their head is an eighty-ton whale, and, and that's the magic <laughs> and, of it, right? And they do, and we do, and we did. Yeah, yeah, and that, but that's 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 a pretty, I think, amazing experience. I, I, I love, uh, you know, when I love the act of reading and when you read, you are, it's a very, but it's a solitary experience. It's a highly imaginative communion with you and the author and the world that that author is making. But in theater, you're, you're having that experience with a community of people. And, and that is a, I think that's a, and there's something about that that is extra powerful and intoxicating to me to to be to be in a room where where we all believe we all say yes and to i love that and 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 i mean as we as we're speaking um i'm about to open a a production of midsummer night's dream for starling shakespeare company that it consists of five actors and we uh have invented it in the room because whatever ideas I brought in, you mostly didn't fit these particular five actors. You have to craft it to the people you have. And how does that work for you when you're remounting 
a production that works in its way, but now you have some new actors and some veterans. What's that balancing act like? Well, I, first, I, I would love to. I bet that Midsummer is going to be fantastic. Um, that that way of working is is absolutely how how I I have to work in a way. And and I love, I actually love that. You know, I don't. I I always want to do work with the same people whenever I can. But but not everybody's always available. Some people age out of things, or they or they've got other other things going on and so there's often somebody new coming in and they they the what they bring into the room both in terms of personality but also skill sets their metabolism their demeanor all of that is interesting and and so we've at looking glass we I think we've been pretty savvy and good about making sure that we leave some space whether it's workshop time or even rehearsal time to discover that to for me as the kind of I don't think of myself as a director I think of myself more as an air traffic controller for other people's great ideas yeah. I'm just kind of in the room and hopefully putting assembling them and putting them together um, and encouraging um, those great ideas and and I also I love what you said I you know I, I'll come in with what I think are good ideas and then it the collaborators the team the the actors and and everybody in the room often have better ideas and that's what yeah. you want right yeah so totally. if i'm doing my job i'm 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 good and open to that and not holding on too tightly to what what i think is the way it's supposed to go hey this is joel murray freddie rumson from mad men and I tell you, I could just pee my pants over how great this Reduce Shakespeare Company's podcast is. Fabulous. Where can you RSC the RSC? The Reduced Shakespeare Company will return to touring this fall of 2022, performing Hamlet's Big Adventure, a prequel, in Rolla, Missouri on September 21st, Bloomington, Illinois on September 23rd, Jasper, Indiana on September 25th, and the Wharton Center in East Lansing, Michigan on November 9th and 10th. Check out the touring page at our website, ReducedShakespeare.com, or our Facebook page or our Twitter feed at Reduced for the latest information. Now back to my conversation with David Catlin, the adapter and director of Looking Glass Alice, now in its final two weeks of performances at Looking Glass Theater in Chicago. Right now we've got this, we've got an incredible cast, but just, just to name one, there's this um, incredible performer named Michelle Rodriguez who is, um, who grew up um, training for the for the Cuban gym, male gymnastics team, and then he became a dancer. And he works with Lucky Plush, which is this really cool. I don't know if you're familiar with Lucky Plush. They're this amazing dance theater company somewhere in the intersection between dance and theater. And and um, and so he comes into the room, and he's not he's not a trained actor, which a lot of a lot of our performers are actors first, and then they develop these skills but with Michelle what he what he brought into the room was really exciting to me it turns out he has this incredible 
dynamic voice, vo vocal range that is really fantastic, and in a way, it's unexpected. But but because he can do these, um, he can do all of these incredible gymnastic skills, including the Chinese pole. We started re reworking the show. I changed the way that the tracking went because I. He, there's something that about him that defies gravity, and so I wanted him to play the white rabbit and and have him to be able to kind of jump into the air and and um, climb up this pole and then fall down the pole at a high speed. Uh, there's a there's a moment in um, the Mad Hatter's Tea Party which is already too long. It's already and, and sort of <laughs> conceptually the scene is supposed to be too long. Alice is but because it's always six o'clock and Alice you know, is so excited to have her go to her first tea party and, and she gets there and it's this unending, it's always six o'clock. It's kind of like Sartre's no exit. She's just stuck <laughs> there in this kind of purgatory and wants to leave. Well, it's already almost a third of the play. And, and but Michel, because he's so gifted and Michel and the rest of the cast are so gifted that we, in one of the workshops, he started doing this kind of slow motion and I was like, oh my gosh, we have to have a slow motion battle between the Dormouse and the Mad Hatter. And now it's this, it's kind of the <laughs> center of it. And, and, you know, if I was, if I was a sane person, if I was, if I was more thoughtful, I, it would be cut, but, but I can't cut it because it's so fun. You can't and, leave you know, those laughs on the table, on no, the tea table. No, not on, or on the tea tray. Yeah, okay. no, it's, it's, um. And it's really, it's it's really good. Uh, the the cast just does beautiful work with it, and it's and it and it it actually ends up getting at this notion of playing with time and tempo, which you know the Hatter offended time by um, by singing uh, <laughs> "Twinkle Twinkle Little Bat" out of out of out of tempo. Now I wonder and, where you're at. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, I, 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 it's that that's fantastic to hear because I uh, I, I get home next week and I'm going to see get to see it next week and I've seen it before, which means I'm going to see a new Alice. It's yeah, not just yeah. the same old looking glass Alice. It's for the for the next generation of of theater goers to to check out this signature work. Part, part of just to add one thing about what I think is so I'm so grateful you're going to come see it again. But I, I, just to say, I, you know, we we make shows and and we put them up and and at a certain point we're we're sort of finished with them or we we can let them go. But there's something about this one, and part of it is, it's the performers are so gifted. They're so both comedically and improvisatorily. That's not a word, I don't think. Improvisatorily. Uh, they're good improvisers, but they're also really kind of deft at some of the circus elements in it. And so there is this, be, between the circus and the improvisation, it is, um, there's a level of, um, not danger, well, yeah, I mean, it's it, it's exciting to see. And, yeah. and you, I, I can't, I, I watch it, I've seen this one particular routine hundreds of times and I can't take my eyes off it. I can't figure out how the actor can be 15 feet in the air uh, with all these ropes and moving around. And then it, there's this moment where Alice is like wrestling with the yarn, these ropes, or it's a 
technically called a clown sw cloud swing, but it looks like this yarn that the cat has unwound and and she's tangling in it. And then finally, and it's it's literally 12, 15 feet in the air. So so it is it is, and this actor is working really hard, and and but in a in a in a really uh, visceral, engaging way. And then she gets to she masters it, and she gets to the top. of this is Alice. And so it's this moment of triumph for for this young character, and then she, the two of the ropes disappear, and on the longest rope she starts swinging, and you again have this really visceral experience that's happening, and then she knots her feet in it, and then she dives out into the air, and literally is defying gravity for a, a moment of suspension, and then the rope catches on her feet, and she swings backwards. And swings forward again, and it's this. It takes the whole length of the the theater that she's doing this, and it's it's you know part of it is that it's Sylvia Hernandez de Stasi, who's the choreographer, is just a genius, and um, we partner with the Actors Gym to to make shows like this. Um, but it, but it, it to me that's a, that's emblematic of the the show and how it operates at times where it's. You know, we want theater that is, we want to make theater that is both, you know, that you can think about and have an intellectual experience, but we also want you to have a visceral experience and a kinesthetic experience. We want your whole being to be connected to the work. So, and I, and I think that moments like that really succeed. And, and, and that's because of training from Sylvia and the Actors Gym, but also the, the, the perform, the actors who are doing it are, are, are kind of non-stop doing extraordinary, unexpected things. That's it for this week's Reduced Shakespeare Company podcast, except for one more thing, which I'll share with you in about 60 seconds, so stick around. Looking Glass Alice runs for two more weeks until July 31st, 2022 at the Looking Glass Theater in Chicago. Go to lookingglasstheater.org for more information and follow them on Twitter at gglasstheater and on Instagram at lookingglasstheater. Then send us your circus-infused version of a classic via email to feedback at reducedshakespeare.com or throw a comment to us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram or on our own actual website, reducedshakespeare.com or visit my website, theshakespeareans.com. Thanks, as always, to Mad Hatter Matthew Croak, web services by Ginger Power Limited, music by John Weber and GarageBand. Our random fan shout-out this week goes to Faith Reese, no reason, it's just random. Special thanks to Joel Murray, another Chicago institution. And finally, thanks very much to you for listening. Please continue to stay safe, get your boosters, and keep your masks on. I'm Austin Tishner, 815-2445ths of the Reduced Shakespeare Company. You and I have both adapted Lewis Carroll. We've both uh, adapted Mary Shelley. Uh, we've both adapted Dickens. It seems like I got to get on my adaptation of Moby Dick. That's my yeah, next yeah. challenge. Come on. Yeah, Maybe. really. I want to see your four, four or five person version of, I do. I would love to see that. That would be so good. And I'm just, you yeah. know, you know, I'll have to just call it Dick, exclamation <laughs> point. Dick. Yes, good. <laughs>
I cannot wait. This podcast is a production of the Reduce Shakespeare Company. Reducing expectations since 1981. Go to ReduceShakespeare.com for performance dates, actor bios, email newsletters, and so much less. 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 And so much less.